Hello, and welcome to the fourth bonus episode of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in Modern and Pioneer. This is Shane here in Denver, Colorado. Again, Gonna get, gotta give a huge thanks to all the patrons in the Dive Down Nation for helping us reach that stretch goal that allows us to make these episodes. We appreciate every one of you and every one of our listeners each week. And so this month, we thought it would be cool to have an interview episode with a popular and talented streamer in Aspiring Spike, also known as Evert. What's your last name, Everett? Uh, my last name is Mohan. Uh, Mohan. Yeah. Okay. I, you told me this just like five minutes ago, but you know. I, I have three weird names, and that's why Aspiring Spike is the best alias. It's it's simple, and you don't have to remember remember anything else. Yeah, so today, uh, just me, just Shane, and Everett, a.k.a. Aspiring Spike, we're going to go over a bunch of questions with him, learn more about him, uh, his job, part-time job. Yeah ambition of being uh of being a spike being an awesome streamer on twitch learn more about his perspectives on playing modern playing pioneer uh the future and current state of these formats and also a special focus on control decks and control archetypes in pioneer and modern because if you've uh, listened to me over the past year or so you know that i have uh, some specific frustrations with playing against uh, against control decks. It's challenging. It's also challenging to play as a control deck. And I think that one of the things that everyone would like to know a little bit more is how should we be thinking when we're playing with and playing against these types of strategies? So, Everett, first things first, man. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you, the aspiring Spike? Yeah, it feels like... Uh... You know, those questions you get asked in, in high school and you, you freeze in your front of the, the headlights. But, you know, I'm just like a, a normal guy. I played Magic for, for seven years, played a lot of FMs, and um, I gradually got into competitive Magic more and more over the years. I played a, a couple of Pro Tours, got SCG Open, Top 8, and mm. uh, Magic has always been a, uh, a, a big part of my life, but it's never really been uh, something I've been able to devote all of my time and energy into. You know, I still... Um, you work for a living. I do IT at a university. I um, am finishing up my, my bachelor's degree still. It's a long process. I, uh, I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons in my free time. And Oh, awesome. Yeah. Our co-host, Zach, is, uh, is a big DM. That's his other oh, awesome. passion as well. Are you, uh, are you a, a PC or a GM? A DM? Uh, I play, I, play uh, I, I DM a bi-weekly session, and then I'm a player in two weekly sessions, so I, I just play a, a ton. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. And uh, you said you've been playing Magic, what, about seven years now? Yeah, I, my my first real event was the Return to Ravnica pre-release, which is part of the reason why I love Pioneer so much. It's my entire history of playing Magic from my very first Magic event is the format Pioneer. Yeah, so you have kind of memories of all the, the standard decks. You might oh, have yeah. played through those those formats and the cards that you really liked. Oh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's just li- literally uh, every card I've loved is in Pioneer. Um, and some cards I've hated too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that's one thing that we've kind of acknowledged about Pioneer is that it seemed almost like a, a perfect place for them to pick up and start, right? I think there was there was a kind of a growing influx of players and also it seems like kind of a, a philosophical shift in, in card and format design at that point. And uh, it's interesting to see that you were part of, part of that boom right around, right around RTR. Yeah, I remember that boom around RTR and like LGSs were super just thriving. And I, I personally, I haven't had like a local game store in a long time. So I have such a nostalgic 
feeling for like the 2012, 2014 era of just being at your FNM every week and seeing people all the time. Right. Yeah. What got you into magic? I really just a uh, friend of mine, uh, someone I still hang out with uh, weekly to this day, but we play D&D now instead of magic. But he just said, hey, would you like to learn how to play this game? And and I picked it up and I haven't put it down since. I A lot of people take breaks from magic and they've had hiatuses and I've had times where it ne- hasn't been a huge focus. But I don't think there's ever been a time when I've really been on hi- hiatus from magic. Sure. Did you play a lot of standard through all those formats that you've been playing, or did you kind of jump on modern right away? Or um, I have primary. I've been a. I focused on different formats throughout my time. I I always play standard when it is. There's a tournament in my area that I have to play standard for. I just love magic, and I'll play basically any format. But there have been standards where all I've done is play standard. Um, Return to Ravnica Innistrad standard has still just always been my my favorite standard format, but I really enjoyed all, like basically all of Kaladesh standard. I sure. even like this current standard a little bit. I just went to GP Oklahoma City, and I really uh, I think this standard format is good now. I played a lot of Legacy in my time. I played uh, Legacy at the only uh, Pro Tour where you could ever play Legacy, Pro Tour 25, and I, I boast that I have the best finish of anyone who's ever played Legacy Storm at a Pro Tour. Um, there was only three people who have ever done it, but I was the best of the three. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. Yeah. More recently, though, you've been moving into streaming really regularly. How long have you been streaming on Twitch? Uh, I've been streaming ever since about, I think June 3rd was my first stream. And so about six months or so I've been streaming. So what made you want to get into streaming? I A lot of, honestly, it was just encouragement from friends to do it. I have a few like magic group chats and I'll always be posting screenshots of goofy stuff that's happening and my friends have always just requested that I stream and my girlfriend's also just told me hey you should stream magic and I decided to pull the trigger and get into it and you know this summer was an interesting flux where I am almost done with my bachelor's degree and if I didn't start streaming you know this summer I probably would never have had a chance to do it again so I decided to take a jump and see if it could take off and it has and it's been a really good time so far cool do you have any particular goals or are you just trying to see what happens? I'm just trying to see what happens. I don't really have, um, I really, really enjoy it. It's a ton of fun and I don't have a destination in mind. I'm just enjoying the journey right now. Sure. What do you think makes viewers interested in people who are streaming Magic? I think Magic is one of the best games that you could possibly stream. The fact that you can just pause and discuss all of your thoughts and your lines over the course of the game, it feels so unique to me compared to other video games where it requires a lot of focus and energy, where magic, you can just pause at any moment and talk about mm-hmm. it. And it's always changing and there are always new ideas to, to bring forward and, and talk about. And it's really easy to get inspired and, and bring that inspiration to the table every day. Yeah, so do you think people like talking with you about lines, do they like sort of watching you figure things out on the fly? You think it's a little bit of both? You think it's the community that gets built around it? Yeah, I think it's. A, I think different people like different things about it. I do think a lot of people do tell me they enjoy hearing my lines. A lot of people tell me they enjoy seeing my deck process, and a lot of people just enjoy watching some games of Magic. I think there's a little bit of something for everyone. For sure. Yeah. So since you've been streaming and been more active on Twitter, I think that people would agree that you know you hear the name aspiring spike on you know big podcasts people see your twitter posts being retweeted by a number of you know big name players in the scene what do you think's contributed to your pretty 
rapid recognition in the Magic the Gathering scene? I think it's a combination of a few things. I honestly put a, a ton of uh, give a ton of credit to my my friends who I told like a group of my Magic playing friends that I was going to start a stream, and within like two days, one of my friends had made all of my emotes for me without uh, question. Drew drew the art that you see on my player profile. She's wow. amazing, um, and uh, also. Another one of my friends made all the notifications for the stream and they just put it all together without me asking. And it was crazy. Just a lot of support there. And then Gabriel Nassif uh, recognized my my username for my aspiring spike from matches that we had played on Magic Online in the past. Okay. And he gave me just a, a couple hosts. And then after that, people, I think, liked my ideas that I was having. And uh, I think that I've had a lot of good ideas this year, and I think this has been some of the best deck building I've ever done in my Magic career in this last six months. Yeah, so you think it's kind of the, the deck building is drawing people in? Yeah, I would say that that's probably the most feedback I get is that people like my my brews and the the decks that I build, and I think that that's probably the biggest draw to to the channel. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk. I want to talk more about the brews later for sure. But what do you think is the best way? for people to stand out in the fairly crowded environment of streaming? And do you think it's like even your time slot that you choose to stream in? Or do you think it's kind of the, the decks that you play or the formats that you play? Or what, what do you do to try to stand out? Well, I don't necessarily try anything particularly to stand out. I, I think I think what makes me stand out is I play what I'm interested in. I, I try to be very consistent with the quality of the stream. And I also try to be very consistent in the time that I stream. You know, I'm not uh, really honestly very knowledgeable about how to maximize your success on Twitch, but I do think a consistent time frame is probably more important than um, a specific time frame. If you can consistently stream at the same time, you'll get the same audience and they'll they'll come back is, is kind of what I'm thinking. And if you can always make sure that your stream is good and you can play good decks and talk about your lines, then you'll get people to come back. And I would probably just recommend to not overthink it, just play what you want to play and try to play it well. Yeah. Do you, do you consider yourself a brewer then? Because like you have seemed to play a lot of those rogue decks on streams and you mentioned that's been one thing that you think helps you get a little rec- bit of recognition. Is that something that you strive to be or you consider yourself to be? I, I, I definitely am a brewer, but I, I also can certainly recognize when it's not the right time to brew. I think it certainly does vary from format to format. I'm always brewing, but I'm not always playing brews if that makes sense sure so something always kind of jumping around your your mind kind of bouncing around a little bit oh yeah where do you get the inspiration for your brews uh i think about magic a lot (laughs) just kind of all the time and uh usually when i am picking up a new brew it's 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 because i think that uh, one card or a certain combination of cards is well positioned in a format at a particular time so um like what the, my latest brew, I've been playing with Wilderness Reclamation and the Scarab God and Filled Mystic and Pioneer, and I think those three cards are well positioned and they work really well together. Yeah, explain that a little bit more to me. I've heard you mention that on your stream where you're like, I think that Scarab God and Filled Mystic and Wilderness Reclamation play really well together. What is it about Filled Mystic and Scarab God that you like? Maybe I'm missing something obvious. So uh, one big thing is uh, Oko and Nexus of Fate made to where cards like the Scarab God just weren't really playable in Pioneer while sure. they were legal. Uh, you know, your Scarab God turns into an Alk or your opponent just takes infinite turns and the card isn't isn't very useful. And so now that Scarab God, I think, is playable in Pioneer for the first time, uh, looking on ways to maximize it, 
Frilled Mystic, I think, is just a very powerful magic card. I think that it's really difficult to cast, and it's, that's why we haven't seen it in Pioneer so far. But a 3-2 for 4 mana that counters a counterspell is a really good card, and it's a creature that you can return with your Scarab God to counter a spell. And then Wilderness Reclamation makes it to where you can play your Scarab God on turn 5, and then untap your mana, and then activate your Scarab God on the turn you play it, which is super duper powerful. Yeah. And then Reclamation obviously plays well with counter spells, where you play it on turn 4, untap, Frilled Mystic. And so that was the initial idea for the deck, and then the rest of the cards are built around that idea and that package. And it feels like one of the most powerful mid-range plans you could be um, you'd be playing in Pioneer right now. Cool. Yeah, I want to definitely talk about kind of the what Pioneer looks like right now and maybe in the future in a little bit. But thinking more about the brews right now, like where are you working on them? Are these kind of like you know brain experiments, thought experiments for a while, or are you kind of crafting them up and, and working on them off stream or on stream? Yeah, I I have a lot of ideas for brews, and I I play a lot of Magic off stream, and that's that's where I I test them, and I I don't usually play a brew on stream unless I think it's good, and I think that that's part of the reason why people come is because if they if they see me playing a brew, they know that I've played with it, and I've had success with it, and I'm I'm showing off a new a new idea. So I, yeah. I don't I I don't I don't think I, I maybe once or twice I've played a deck a brew without testing it before uh, the stream, but I, I basically always test before the stream. Yeah, one of the things I think I see happen is, you know, you'll you'll post something on Twitter that gets retweeted or something like that, and it's like you know I just went five zero with this, or I've you know gone sixteen and four with this over like the last four leagues. I think this has some legs, and then you'll be playing it. Uh, on your next streams for you know a few days or a week or something like that, and I think that that makes sense. It's a good idea, right? It's like, hey, this isn't just some joke deck. I've had some success with it, and let's let's have some more. Oh yeah, and I, there are a lot of joke decks that just die off stream that you guys don't get to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I worked on one of those this week. Um, we did some testing uh, with Monastery Mentor in Pioneer. And yeah, the, the deck that I, I worked on and iterated on, it definitely did not feel like something that I could have success with. If I, yeah, if you take that onto a stream and you just kind of fail, I think that people aren't going to necessarily love it, right? They like to, I think they'd like to see winning. I think so too. And I, th- I think that if, if you want to be a brewer, just having that consistency that like showing that you've had some success with your new ideas is, is valuable to have that consistency. Yeah. When you first started streaming, because Pioneer wasn't around, were you mostly streaming modern or were you doing other formats as well? I, I streamed a little bit of Legacy and I, I still absolutely love Legacy, but I, I don't play it as often anymore. But it was probably 95% modern at the time. Yeah, what, a, what about modern was interesting to you over other formats? I, I picked a great time to start streaming. It My first week of streaming, Modern Horizons had, had just dropped and I yeah. had a few few brews I wanted to try out just like everybody else. I wanted to try out scale up alongside prowess creatures with a uh, dreadhorde arcanist, which is something I, I had a good time doing. And then I believe I was one of, if not the first people to just play Ren and six and Jund. And that was one of my big first spikes and viewers was I, I was playing Ren and six and Jund and I played that for a really long time. And, and then after that, I was playing, uh, you know, a lot of various blue decks of modern. And then Throne of Eldraine came out and Into the Story and Drown in the Lock were printed. And I built the, the Grixis control deck in modern that I still really, really enjoy and like. And then I was playing the Blue Red Delver deck with Mystic Sanctuary and Deprive. That was really cool. I just like modern. I've been playing it for years and years. It's a, it's a good format. I enjoy it. 
Yeah, I think I remember starting to see you pop up more, or maybe it was when you first were getting going streaming was, you know, after Horizons was coming out and people were like, well, what's going to happen? And, you know, if you have the capacity to stream during the day when people might be working or might be, you know, they don't have time to jump in a league themselves, but they have an hour to, to watch you. That seems like it makes sense, right? Like people, yeah. that was a good opportunity. It, it was a, it was a great time to start streaming. It was it was really good. That was my very beginning of the stream, and I got very lucky in my, in my timing. Yeah, yeah but part of it too is is right. It's if you if you start being in the right place at the right time and doing the right things. But you know, you seem like you had a really good schedule and just sort of like you said, built that community. People knew they were going to be there. They knew who might else be in the chat with them and and talking about what's going on. Has that been something that you've taken a lot of value in? Sort of the 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 people that you're able to interact with. Oh, absolutely. My my Twitch chat is one of the like most thoughtful and kind uh, group of people that I've experienced in an online space in a in a very long time. I'm very thankful. My mods never have anything to do, really. Uh, it's it's a good time, and I think it's because we all know each other. We're we're there at the same times during the day. It's really it's really cool too because you get a lot of people from Europe because I start streaming early in the morning in America, so you get the nighttime people in Europe and the yeah, daytime yeah, yeah. people in America. It's it's a good time. So you mentioned that you think modern is is a good format. You know, what are your thoughts on modern since you've been playing it more regularly on stream? I really enjoy modern. I think that the when they banned Faithless Looting and unbanned Stoneforge Mystic, I thought that might have been the best modern has ever been. And but but recently in the last you know couple months, I have enjoyed the format less and less as the Urza decks have been tuned and the Throne of Eldraine cards have added. Urza and Emery and Gilded Goose to these Urza decks, and I, I, I talk about this a lot in stream, but I think the card Urza is, is too good. I think it's the most powerful four mana spell that's ever been printed. It it gives you so much for four mana. It comes down. It makes six other mana. It puts more power into play than four mana does. You can uh, exile cards from the top of your deck to generate card advantage. I um, it, the card's kind of unreal. You you have to counter it or discard it. You can't beat it on the board, which I, I dislike for a four mana card. Sure. And then when you combine that with uh, when the fair decks have to contend with that, and they also have to beat the Eldrazi Tron decks and the Tron decks, which are really really good because of the London Mulligan. I I, I just think that those two decks are just clearly better than basically every other strategy. And you can play decks that are okay against them, like you know Shadow and, and Burn. But but over overall, I'm just I, I just really I'm I'm looking for a change in modern. I I hope that Wizards bans Urza, and I, I hope that um, the format gets a little more under the contr- under control soon. Sure. Yeah, I think that that's a sentiment that a lot of people are probably sharing right now. Is that you know the format maybe feels a little bit consolidated around the power level of some of the cards in modern. It's not really able to have the same experimentation of at least Pioneer right now, right? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about kind of what happened in modern throughout 2019? You know, we saw some unbans, we saw some bans, and um, we saw the new formats of Modern Horizons. We saw the power, like you mentioned, of of Throne of Eldraine. We saw the power of War of the Spark. So there was there was a significant sea change in I think the the power level that's expected. In, in modern decks. And what did you think happened throughout the year that you thought was most successful and perhaps overly successful, like you mentioned of Urza? I, um, I, I would like to preface this by saying I do like it when Wizards prints 
uh, new, exciting, high power level cards. And if they make some mistakes along the way, I think that's ultimately for the best of the for the best of the game. And I, I think they have made a few mistakes over the year. Uh, like Modern Horizons was such a crazy shakeup, and I I think one of the best cards printed in Modern Horizons for Modern was Force of Negation. That was an effect that I think was really sorely lacking, and I think that it gave Faradex such an incredible tool against some of these incredibly fast starts. I think the banning of Faithless Looting, uh, that, that card I think was the best card in Modern for a very long time before it was banned. Uh, there was there was no start in Modern I was more afraid of than Blood Crypt Faithless Looting. It was just such a, a powerful start, and I'm really glad that that's out of the format now. Yeah, what, what about Looting made it so powerful to you? It, it was by far the most consistent and powerful enabler like if you look at other cards that you know discard cards and draw cards nothing comes close to how efficient looting is and also you know of course that it flashes back but it you know when you print cards like arc like phoenix and hollow one and um hogak just having such an efficient way to make faithless looting one mana draw two it it, the discard two is really no downside in decks like that and then Mm -hmm. you flashing it back it's just it's just such a powerful card it's it was incredibly, incredibly strong in, in modern, and I, I think it was too good of an enabler for graveyard strategies. And now that it's banned, and, and you look and you see the power level of other enablers uh, along the lines of faithless suiting, I think that it's really leveled out graveyard strategies. Earlier, you mentioned that you thought the unbanning of Stoneforge Mystic, along with the banning of faithless looting, made for a really good combination. For the format to exist in for a little bit, tell me more about the unbanning of Stoneforge and why you like that so much. I I should probably say I'm just very biased and I, I love fair decks and Magic, but I I played a lot of the Stoneforge uh, Bant Coco decks and I really really enjoyed it. I top aided uh, one of those crazy 400 person Magic online PTQs with it, and I I do just think for a long time in Magic the linear decks had so many tools against the non-linear fair decks that adding a card like Stoneforge Mystic that's just going to be a much higher power level and can and can fight against you know the Vinge Vines and the Tron Lands and the the Valakids and and I, I think Stoneforge is a, a very appropriate power level for modern. I think that it is a it is something that we all wanted for a really long time and I'm really glad that it's here and it's not too good. It's No, it's not, no. Yeah, it's just a good archetype role player and th- that's what I'm always looking for in a format. A, a format where Linear strategies and non-linear strategies can coexist. And I, I always want for the non-linear fair decks to be able to be any any linear deck that they want to, but not every linear every linear deck. So I would I would like for my for you know your your Johns or your Trons to choose to beat to beat the graveyard decks or the big mana decks, but not both on any given weekend. So we kind of mentioned earlier that modern right now feels like it's circling around the power level of, of Urza and the the Simic. Urza E type decks. What do you think you would like to have happen to modern in 2020 to make it a format that you enjoy playing a little bit more? Uh, I would like to see Urza Band and Oko Band. And I, I think that if those two cards go, the format's going to be a lot better. I see a lot of people suggesting banning Mox Opal, but that, that really doesn't feel like the problem card to me. Hmm. Um, you know, you can interact with Mox Opal. There are lots of great cards that are good against it. Engineer Explosives, Collector Oof, Stony Silence. These cards are, are like, I mean, I think Explosives is good, but Stony Silence and Collector Oof aren't good against the Artifacts Synergy deck right now, which I think is a mistake. I think that uh, Stony Silence, Collector Oof, these cards should be able to be effective against these Urza decks, but 
because they're all playing the Imri's and Oko's and, and Urza's as their payoff, Oof and Stony Silence aren't good. Um, like, I, th- I think that when Urza was, was not a card that existed, the Mox Opal decks were not very good. And I, I also think that while Mox Amber is not nearly of a high enough, it's not nearly Mox Opal, but alongside Imri and, uh, Oko and Urza all being in the same deck, it would be like a pretty suitable replacement for Mox Opal, and I, I still think we would see these Urza decks be very, very powerful with Mox Opal being banned. Yeah, I definitely have heard that sentiment as well. Like, is it a Mox Opal problem? Is it an Urza problem? I think, you know, a lot of people are in agreement, right, that Urza's power level is significant, especially at four mana. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a bit of frustration on the lack of action of Watsi on modern. But I think that's one of the reasons that Pioneer, I think, has been so popular in in the near term right now is that people are looking at the dynamic nature of Pioneer and saying, well, Modern's a little static right now. There's not a lot of opportunity for me to be making big waves. So I'm going to look at Pioneer and see what's going on there. What are your thoughts about Pioneer as a format right now? Like, how are you feeling about it? I love Pioneer. Pioneer is... I think my favorite format now, it became my format, my favorite format very quickly. I think that it feels like every, every couple of weeks it's changing and new decks are, are emerging and coming out to beat the top deck of last week, which is always what I love to see in a format, a format that's constantly evolving. And there are new, there are new pieces to this rock, paper, scissors, you know, a lizard and a Spock will emerge to beat the other, other archetypes. Yeah, what do you think are the fundamental differences between Pioneer and modern is it certain cards is it like key cards like path and bolt is it overall power level you know what do you, what kind of what are the things that you think make pioneer and modern feel so different i think you touched on it a little bit at the beginning of this conversation but i i do feel like around return to ravnica wizards had a little bit of a philosophy shift towards magic the gathering and, and what kind of cards they were willing to print and what kind of cards you know is is fair and a little more defined a defined idea of the color pie. You know, one thing I, I think about Pioneer, how it doesn't have Path to Exile and how what a format warping card that is in Modern. Mm-hmm. And the, the more I think about it, and this is something I don't even think I would have realized without playing Pioneer, is when white doesn't have this, like, this really efficient one mana removal, I, I think that it is a, a more balanced color. And I, I, I see a lot of people, I play a ton of blue-white control on stream and I, I see a lot of people ask, saying, "I wish Pioneer, I wish uh, Path to Exile or Condemn or even Alice were legal." But I think that any one of those cards would make Blue White Control and Pioneer way too good, too okay. good. And I, I think that I like for White to have really efficient mass removal, and I think that and conditional two mana spot removal, and for Black to have really efficient spot removal and conditional mass removal. I think that that's an aspect of the color pie we don't have in Modern. Um, I think that. I would like their red to be better. I think that I would like to see something that's n- better than shock and worse than lightning bolts. We've talked about some ideas on, on channel. We don't have to turn this into a custom magic stream, but, but for, for, for the most part, I just, I feel like pioneer has a pretty clear image of the idea of the, co- of what wizards wants the color pie to be. And it feels great. It feels balanced. It, no deck feels too good. There's tons of room for brewing and for new strategies to emerge. I really, really enjoy it. It's It's been great. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about white because 
you sort of focused on it a little bit in your answer about the lack of path to exile is is almost a balancing feature of pioneer and, and white for you. But I think a lot of people think that white is a little underpowered right now, especially in, in recent standard sets and probably in, in pioneer. I think they would say that white feels underpowered. Sure, white in a blue-white control shell feels like it's bringing something to the table, but I'm not running a, a green-white deck. I'm not running a red-white deck. I'm not even doing too much to be successful in, in a mono-white deck. What do you think about that? Like, What do you think about the overall power level of, of white right now? Because that's a hot topic on people's minds. I, I have heard that that sentiment echoed a lot. Um, and I, I do agree to some extent. I think especially in the last last year, white has not gotten a lot of love outside of blue-white. Um, but, but I also do remember in very recent standards where Gideon and Three Abed Inspector and Archangel Avacyn and, and, and white was by far the, the best color in, in those standards. I, I, I do think that white outside of blue-white is a little underpowered in Pioneer. I don't think Path to Exile is the answer to making it better. Um, I would like to see creatures in white that could keep up with green creatures, basically. Green creatures have gotten too good, and white creatures haven't haven't kept up in recent years. A card like Winds of Abandon is a card I've, I think I would really like. One, it's not very good in a control deck, yeah. uh, because you don't want to sorcery speed two for one yourself. It's kind of like Declaration in Stone. But it's also very powerful, and um, the overload ability is quite good. And I think that would be good in a white-based... Um, white base mid-range deck I, I i do think that the lack of path to exile is a feature in pioneer and not a bug i think that that card is is too efficient it would be too good and pioneer would be very warping sure. um yeah yeah i think it's it's a tough balance right because it's is it a removal problem is it a threat problem or is it you know is it neither is it is does white just seem, simply need to have its its the power and toughness bumped up a bit or like because it seems like one of the design restrictions around white is that they simply can't have powerful creatures at, at a low cmc unless they're like a you know maybe a four mana flyer can be something that gets the job done I, I think that probably part of the reason why white has been not keeping up with the other colors is because a lot of white's good cards aren't very fun like you see cards like thalia garden of thraben is the obvious iconic white card that comes to mind uh giver of runes mother of runes these cards are i'm oh, sorry there's a, a weed whacker outside i don't know <laughs> if you can hear it but these cards are really good and they really do clearly define what white should be doing in a format to be competitive but they aren't fun and they don't necessarily lead to great gameplay and I do think that that's somewhat of a feature of white, and I I think that Wizards probably has shied away from the from what makes white good and competitive. It's kind of the unfun the unfun nature of it, and I I, I think that's it. They just don't want to print cards like that in standard. I think if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's almost kind of like if if the identity of white is one of being unfun, how do how do we how do we redesign these concepts of white that are perhaps lead to more fun gameplay. Um, one of the things that I saw uh, Patrick Sullivan say in one of his mailbag articles recently on Star City Games was that I don't want to, I'm going to paraphrase, is basically he was saying, I don't, I don't want white's identity to peel from other colors. I think that's a bad idea. But I think that if we want white to feel more powerful, perhaps it's just simply lowering the casting cost for a lot of these cards like you know do we we can up the power level of white without stealing from the removal aspect of black or the <clears throat> excuse me the creature power and toughness of green but maybe we just need to kind of think about 
the costs of White's effects, and maybe they just need to come down a little bit to match the the, the power creep that we've maybe seen in something like Green. I can see that being being the case. I think that a lot of times uh, White cards do feel like they are expensive and their sorcery speed and they're they're very very slow. Um, I, I that could certainly be the answer. You could also see. Uh, you know, leading into White's ability to go wide instead of having a few big creatures, you have a bunch of little ones and cards cards like Lingering Souls, cards like uh, Force of uh, the White Force, Force of Vigor. Force of Vigor, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, is that the? It doesn't matter. I think that I think Force of Vigor is the green one. Oh, you're Force right, of yeah, Vir- yeah. Force of Virtue. Yes. The um, other v. I, I I played that on stream when Stoneforge yeah. was released alongside Squadron Hawk, and yeah. that felt like such a really powerful thing to be doing is playing Force of virtue alongside squadron hawk and i I think that really defined uh go wide strategies i think can be quite powerful and they can be quite effective and i I, we haven't really seen anything like that viable and standard in some time Mm -hmm. um so like leaning into that if you want to not leaning to white's taxing white's unfun features i think that could be good also more like I, I feel like we haven't seen like Oblivion Ring, Banishing Light. These cards are sometimes in standard, but sometimes they are worse versions, like Prison Realm or the one that only gets vehicles. I'd like to see better removal like that. I, re- I remember when I first started playing standard, I just played like this green white deck, and I loved Oblivion Ring. It was so good. It exiled everything, and those like evergreen cards, Oblivion Ring, Murder. I, I wish we would have those be more consistently in standard. Sure. What have been your favorite decks that you've been playing in Pioneer so far, either just for fun nature or competitive power level nature? Uh, so Blue-White Control, I think, certainly stands out the most. The cards I've, that's a deck I've been playing a ton. Ever since uh, Feldar Guardian was banned, I've been playing the deck, and the, the deck could not exist while the cat combo existed because it sure. had no good interaction for it, and there was all these three-mana Planeswalkers on the other side of the field. I think blue white's very good. I've been playing a lot of a black green mid range deck. I see a lot of people leading into the delirium aspect of, of black green, but I really dislike playing cards like Vessel of Nascency and Pioneer. I think the card is just really, really slow um, and in a very tempo a format where tempo matters a lot. Oh yeah, for sure. My the deck I've been, I have had the most fun with in Pioneer that I don't really think exists anymore. But I've been playing Chief Engineer alongside. Um, like Verderous Gear Hulk, Walking Ballista, Stone Coil Serpent, and like you play like Gilded Goose, and you you convoke out these these big five and six mana artifacts on turn three, and then you also play Throne of the God Pharaoh, so you convoke everything out, and then your Throne of the God Pharaoh triggers from all your tapped creatures on your instep. You play like Metallic Rebuke. It was really cool, but it suffered a lot from the Copter ban. Uh, I also played Emery in this deck. Um, that was my most fun deck. I streamed it a few times, but it's it's kind of dead in the water. Yeah, you kind of spoke to the. The tempo-y nature of Pioneer, how do you think that differs from the fundamental features of Modern? Like, what's Pioneer really about versus what do you think Modern's about? Uh, so, I do think that Modern, it's a little, it's, it is about tempo in Modern, but it's not about tempo in the way it is in Pioneer. Because in Pioneer, you guys are both playing to the board in very similar ways. Yes. You know, your cards, your three-mana card is going to be of a similar power level to your opponent's three-level three-mana card and, and vice versa. In Modern, tempoing, tempo more so means uh, you're goldfishing faster than your opponent when you are playing Tron or Eldrazi, Tron or Urza. Or when you're playing Control, your goldfish is your counter spells against their spells. And if they resolve anything, you, you like you're very disadvantaged. Um, and then when you compare that to Legacy, 
where all the answers are really hyper-efficient. And this is a little more true of Legacy five years ago when I played it a lot. But when all your answers, your forcibles, your thought seizes, your wastelands, days, all your answers are really efficient, what matters more is card advantage because it's hard to gain that tempo advantage. So it's, it's easier to go after a card advantage in a format like Legacy. I know, I know I went on a tangent there. We went to a whole new format. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. What are your general thoughts on Wati's approach to the ban list of Pioneer? Do you think it was a, a good idea to go in with a very few things banned, only the, the fetch lands from cons? Or do you think they should have maybe said, well, we know certain things are going to be too powerful and, and not have this sort of extended beta phase of Pioneer that some people call it? I, I, I love how they've done it. I think that the way they've done it is an acknowledgement that Magic Online and the community as a whole, just so many minds and digital data that's accessible to everyone is a better playtesting group than any number of pros they could hire, sure. admittedly. I think that they've done a great job. All of the bannings they've announced, I haven't been able to call very many of them. Um, but every every banning announcement they've made has made a lot of sense to me. And I love I they're banning things way more aggressively than I've experienced. And whenever they do it, I'm kind of surprised that they've done it because I, I tend to have a good feel for how Wizards has banned things in the past. Yeah. But I've, I've loved how they've been cultivating the format. I think that every banning has been appropriate and a good decision and a well-thought-out one. I think that Pioneer is in a great place. I think we're very close to being out of the beta phase. Um, I think that the only cards I think that could go at this moment are Dig Through Time, Treasure Cruise, and Teferi. I think Treasure Cruise is the least likely of those, but in decks where Cruise is good, it's really only the Phoenix deck, but it's so, so good at that deck. And Dig Through Time, I think, is the best card in Pioneer. I think you're super incentivized to play it right now. Um, and I also... I talked about this on stream a little bit, and I don't fundamentally think Teferi is too powerful for Pioneer, but I think the card is incredibly unfun, and I think that the format would be better without it. And I personally don't like the idea of banning a card because I think it's unfun. I think that I think that other people enjoy Teferi, and I think that me thinking it's unfun is not a good reason to say it should not be in the format. And it's ultimately Wizards' decision. But 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 anyways, with Pioneer is very close to being out of the bet the beta, in my opinion. Yeah. What do you think blue white control would look like without Teferi three? Like, do you think that that would still be a deck that's that's tier one? I I, I do. I think that it's like the best thing. I think blue white. If Teferi 3 was banned, they would be relieved a little bit because it's really good against blue-white as well. Sure. Um, like Other decks can play it. It's, it's a miserable to play in the mirror. I think that the deck would be similar. You get to play more copies of maybe Narset or Counterspells on turn 3. The, the, the card the Teferi is, is insane in the blue mirrors, and if you choose not to play it and your opponent does choose to play it, you're at such a huge disadvantage. Uh, I, I think the deck would still be very competitive without it. What do you think the future of Pioneer looks like? Like, let's say, you know, this this coming year, we're coming out of sort of the last beta phase where they might have a few bands left. What do you think the, the next coming months of Pioneer or the next year of Pioneer looks like? So, yeah, in the next couple of months, I think that will be out of beta. I think that uh, Wizards will make an announcement saying we are done with the uh, every Monday bannings. Um, and I think that, in a few months after that, we'll start to see big tournament results. And I think that those are going to be very popular. And I think when Wizards sees that those are very popular, there's going to be more support for the format. And I, I'm excited for that. Um, I also think we'll see it on Arena uh, in a year and a half to two years time. 
I would love to see it on Arena. I think it would be great for the game. I think it would bring a lot of people to the game. Um, but, you know, obviously we're all waiting on a, a timeline for that. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about it going to Arena, honestly, because it's so easy to you know, pay for a rental service and play whatever I want on Magic mm-hmm. Online versus the monetary investment into Arena. I'm, I hope that they do it in some way that it doesn't require me opening up like a random pack. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't really want to have to open up random packs of, of Pioneer or something like that. It'd be nice just to have like, you know, drop. I'd even drop, you know, I'd easily drop a couple hundred bucks if I could get like a huge card pack for Pioneer. Yeah, maybe you Wizards could have some kind of special for people moving from Magic Online to Arena and, you know, a bundle or an event or, or something like that. I think that that would be good. Um, I think I think Arena is has been good for the game overall. It's brought a lot of people to it, but it is hard for for people like me who who are like you and play a lot of Magic Online and don't want to keep up with two collections. Yeah, uh, it, it, I I do have a lot of people who I know a lot of people who have sold out their collections and only play Arena, and a lot of people who um, only play paper and they don't really like uh, the online formats. And I think that has its strengths and its disadvantages and a lot of moving parts and. Sure. So it's exciting to some extent. Yeah. Do you ever, going back to Arena a little bit, have you ever streamed any Arena or thought about streaming Arena? I've never streamed Arena. Um, I do think my audience, for the most part, are people who enjoy watching Magic Online. I do play Standard still. It's not very often, but um, usually when I, I play what I'm interested in and I, I play Standard off stream from time to time, sometimes on Arena and sometimes on Magic Online. I. Certainly would play Stream Arena if Pioneer came to it, but I personally don't think it would be a great move to start streaming Standard on Arena when I've cultivated this Pioneer and modern audience. I think that they are kind of just two different player bases right now. All right. So like I mentioned earlier in the intro to the episode, I wanted to take some time to focus on control archetypes in in Pioneer and perhaps in, in Modern because you seem to really like playing those decks and you've iterated on them and had success playing them. And I think that that's a deck archetype that a lot of players consider cha- challenging both to win with and to play against, right? So let's start with playing as the control player. What do you think are the most important considerations to be mulling about your head when you're playing as a control player? So uh, there's certainly a lot of the battles fought before the match ever starts in the deck building constructed, the the deck building process. Um, I do think that Pioneer right now, you want to be on a more Planeswalker uh, approach to your blue-white decks rather than being on like Fae of Wishes and Planar Cleansing, Teferi and Narset and the other Teferi are all really, really strong. I think that you're really incentivized to play them. Uh, as a control player, when you actually get to the match, I think that you should always know what your role is in every matchup. And it is different in every matchup against, you know, green creature decks and, and red creature decks. Um, it's all about the Supreme Verdict. Usually if you have Supreme Verdict on turn four, you're at a pretty big advantage. And if you don't, you're not. So playing out your Narset aggressively on turn three to try to dig and find your Supreme Verdict has a a ton of value in those matchups being able to play patiently against burn and hold up your absorbs and make sure you gain that three life is is really important uh in the control decks and the control mirrors um you know uh in game one i think you're supposed to jam your threats really aggressively because there's such a high density of people having dead supreme verdicts and removal spells in their hand in game two you should you board in all of these counter spells and i believe you should be on the draw and pioneer and the control mirrors because you cannot 
effectively tap out for your three mana planeswalker on turn three because everyone brings in uh like five ways to counter a planeswalker on turn three and people who've been playing these control mirrors know they can't they can't tap out on turn three because their planeswalker will get countered and their opponent will untap and play their own teferi or narset and they'll be at the advantage so knowing that you can't tap out on the third turn of the game i found it's better to choose to be on the draw that way if you mulligan uh you are way less likely to stumble mulliganing on the play and the control mirror is basically a death sentence <laughs> um and then and then i think it's the best plan is to get a castle uh ardenvale or vantress out and ride those incremental advantages to victory make your opponent make the first move having having your dovin's dovin's veto up basically at all moments to stop your opponent from resolving a big safari is a is a very important thing and against the various combo decks, you also need to know uh, how to what spells to counter and, and um, when to interact and how to interact. Yeah, how do you how do you know that? Does this come from from playing the games or looking at the deck lists or? It kind of comes from a yeah. Most of my magic skill, I think, was was it's because I just jammed so many matches of magic and I've played against most archetypes in every format before. And I, you know, I, if you're familiar with other people's decks and their combo decks, and you, you, can, you can know what resources you need to fight over and what resources you don't. And most of that's going to come from experience, and some experience from other control decks will transfer over. But I think to be a successful control player, you need to be a, a true master of the format and know exactly what's going on at, at every moment and be very knowledgeable about all the moving pieces. Are there shortcuts you think people can employ if they don't have the time to, you know, be playing, you know, even a, a league a day, like how do you think people can have their mind in the right place to be successful with control? I, I think that the best way, if you don't have a lot of time to play magic is to listen to people who you think are good at playing control and to watch other content creators. If you have the time and, you know, see if you can get a feel for the league. Uh, keep up with deck lists on MTG Goldfish or or whatever you like to watch your deck lists. And you don't necessarily have to play matches to be knowledgeable about a format. There have been a, I I watched um, Vintage for years and years without p- playing a match, and I was able to have I, I top rated a Vintage event, the only the only Vintage event I've ever played, and I never. Uh, picked up a card before and it's just because I, I watched uh, LSV and, and the Vintage Super League and I was familiar with the format. So I, I don't think you actually need to play to be knowledgeable. You can watch other people play and learn from them. I think that's probably the best approach. Sure. Early on, you mentioned that step one is simply putting together the right 75 as a control player. So do you think that that's basically putting together the right answers and, and the few threats that you want to have in a given meta or how are you thinking about building your control deck and picking the cards that go into it so so usually when you build a control deck or or any deck you have to have a a, a reason to be playing your archetype and usually that reason is because you think a few cards in your deck are really really well positioned and they're some of the best cards in the format to fairy time raveler and narset and supreme verdict and Dig Through Time are some of the best cards in Pioneer, and I really want to be playing with them. And so when you when you know that these cards are really powerful, uh, then it becomes about selecting your answers, you know, your Absorbs, your Azurius Charms, Blessed Alliance, to fit how the format is evolving. So I, I usually like to think of my control decks of having, like, this core game plan, and right now it's Planeswalkers, but in the past it's been, like, 
Search for Kata and Torrential Gear Hulk, and then the rest of the cards shift and evolve as the format evolves. But but usually I won't pick up a control deck unless I think that it's good to be on a control deck in a certain in a certain format. So I don't I don't usually go into a format trying to build a control deck. I usually go into a format thinking specific cards are good and viable, and then if the archetype around those cards is control, then I play that deck. So what about on the other side of the battlefield? If you're playing against a control deck, what are some of the most important tactics people can use and employ to hopefully generate some wins? I, I think uh, the best deck against blue-white control and Pioneer is blue-white spirits. I have a very bad win rate against that deck. Mausoleum Wander, uh, Rattle Chain, Selfless Spirits, uh, Spellqueller, all of these cards line up really well against uh, blue-white control's answer. And so that's, that's sort of um, your goal is to find a way to uh, leverage, it, it depends on what deck you're playing, but finding a way to leverage uh, tempo and board advantage and pressure from burn spells if you're burn, um, if you're playing Twiddlestorm, and it's good to just wait to overpower all of their counter spells by casting too much in one turn for them to counter. If you're playing burn, it's good to get them down to a low life total early, and then you get supreme verdicted, and you can hold up your burn spells and try to overload those, those counter spells. If you're playing green decks, it's usually good to apply early pressure with Planeswalkers and apply big pressure with cards like Nyssa, Nyssa and Vivian and apply pressure with Planeswalkers. Finding a plan that's effective against control and making sure that you can mulligan to a hand that will enact that plan. One of the challenges that I have against control is knowing when I just need to make them have something and or sandbagging something to try to rebuild after like a supreme verdict or after uh, a counter spell or two. It's it's tough to know what position and what line to take in a situation where well I need to as a red deck you kind of mentioned get their life total down so that you can then finish them off with maybe three burn spells in a single turn to try to overload their counter spells, mm-hmm. but knowing how much of your threat density to deploy early because then it can be uh, an easy three for one later with a supreme verdict can feel pretty challenging do you think it's a matter of make them have it or do you think it's a matter of you know you you can't choose to to play slowly when you're the aggressive deck i think that's an excellent question and certainly a strategy that i think a lot of magic players struggle with i think that it's, it's both. It's going to be very contextual and it's going to vary from game to game. And I think what's important is to, one, know what your opponent could have uh, could have with their open mana and could untap and cast against you at any given point in the game. So if, you're, if your control opponent has um, you know two blue and a white mana up, they probably have Absorb or they couldn't have access to Absorb at least. But if they have you know a Field of Ruin untapped, you can infer that not only do they probably not have an Absorb up, they probably don't have one in their hand. It, the, the question of making them have it versus do I sandbag? The, the the usual way you find out the answer to that question is if when you want to make your opponent have it, usually it's if they don't have it, you win the game. If you are going to try to make your opponent have the settle the wreckage or the counter spell and they don't, you'll win. I think that's usually when you should be applying pressure. But if you you know you, you draw your lightning strike and your opponent's at five life and they have a bunch of mana up and they have some cards in hand, there's no reason to, to you know, try to make them have it because, one, they very likely do. It's very unlikely that they don't not have it. And two, you're still, you, you, don't, you don't win the game. You still have to apply a lot more pressure. You can take you can take your time. So usually, you know, make them have it. 
is when uh, they'll die if they don't. And otherwise you can kind of, otherwise I think it's good to play it slow. Yeah. Cause I know that one of the tactics to employ against control is frequently to double or triple spell to, mm-hmm. like you said, overload those counters later. What are your thoughts about the role of planeswalkers in aggressive decks or even mid-range decks against control decks? Are, are they as good as advertised or do you think that control gets so many answers now? I, I think that they are about as good as advertised. It, it does depend on planeswalker to planeswalker. Like Gideon Alives in the car is really good against control decks. Um, but cards like um, like Vraska Golgari Queen, one that doesn't impact the board, isn't. And, and so that's that's really what you're looking for against control is to get ahead on board and stay ahead on board without over committing. And it's a it's a fragile dance to dance. But if you could master it, I think that you will find success. I do think that planeswalkers are really good. I think your role for your planeswalkers in your aggro and mid range decks are to uh, you're trying to force your opponent to react early to your early game threat, because usually you get ahead on board before the control deck. And when they have to react, then you take advantage on them tapping their mana to slam your really highly impactful planeswalker that will continue to keep you ahead on board and continue to leverage your advantage. It's Mm -hmm. very important against control to not let them get ahead on board or ahead on on the tempo. All right. So let's move on from these deep strategic questions, something a little bit more fun. Where did your, your Twitter handle, your streaming name, Aspiring Spike, where did that come from? Um, I, Signed up for a Magic account on Magic Online maybe six years ago, and I just typed it in. I really don't know where it came from. But as it's kind of uh, evolved, I do think that the idea of an inspiring spike is something I've, I've kind of leaned into. And, and what, that, what that means to me is like I always want to aspire to be better. I always want to aspire to be a better Magic player, a better person, um, a more sharper tool than I currently am. And I, I think that that name is, is really good. And I think a lot of people do identify with that. So I, I never want to say that I am a spike. I never want to say that I, I've made it there and I'm finally a competitive magic player. I always want to be aspiring to get there. For sure. Yeah. I think that resonates with a lot of our listeners. You know, we speak to the, the casual spike, the the person who enjoys winning and but they know that they might not have the the time and that it takes to truly, you know, grind out the the spikeitude that it takes to maybe, you know, make make that pro tour or players tour or whatever, but you can still aspire to 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 spike your FNM or even uh, you know win a PTQ now and then or, or top 8 a local tournament. All those things feel good and those that iteration on your skill and leveling up in any way that you can, I think is, is a good thing to aspire to for sure. Do you have any cards or a specific card that you kind of consider your, your brewer's kryptonite, like things that might just be like a terrible card, but you just can't stop trying to mess with? Uh, absolutely. Um, and I, I know a lot of these cards, I certainly have fooled myself into thinking is good. I've I've cast probably t- more Dynavolt Towers in Pioneer than, than most people have, and that card's not very good in Pioneer. <laughs> um, that, that card got me my pro, my first Pro Tour invite, and I can just never never get away from it. Um, Is that the one that you win with like fifty or more life? Which one's that? No, that's the it's the three mana artifact that whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you get two energy, and then you can spend five energy and tap it and deal three damage to a uh, to a permanent. Got it. Um, so I, I, I'm absolutely in love with that card. Uh, Mystic Sanctuary, I mean, that card's great, but I was absolutely obsessed with uh, breaking it with, you know, Time Warps and uh, Archmage Charm, Cryptic Commands. 
I recently the Scarab God was my kryptonite because I, I had a lot of bad Scarab God brews. I was playing Fires of Invention alongside Scarab God, so you can you know, play play Scarab God and activate it immediately. And eventually, I, I realized this should be Wilderness Reclamation and Frilled Mystic. And I think that that's often what you'll find with brews is you'll find one thing that works in a brew and it's really good, but the rest of the shell doesn't come together. But you can just shelve it and then use that idea for later when other cards emerge or other shells come out and that knowledge will be valuable moving forward yeah so what are your thoughts on mystic sanctuary I, i'm still uh, i'm still not entirely sold on, on its place in every blue base control deck but what do you what do you feel about it? is it is it great is it okay what kind of decks do you want to play it in i love it in modern i think it's unplayable in pioneer without the fetch lands and the fact that your mana base can't support that many islands um, I think that it's, I really like it in the Delver decks in Modern and Blue Red Delver being able to use Deprive and Mystic Sanctuary to recur your Deprive over and over again is really powerful. And it's really powerful against the Urza and Tron decks is something I found. I like it as like a one of or two of in like the Grixis control decks that I've been playing, just a value card to tutor up. And that's about where I think it should be in the blue-white control decks, just a one of value tutor target. It's pretty free. Sure. It's, it's one of my favorite designed cards from a, from 2019. Yeah, our our host Stan has been messing around with it in Delver and, and doing Deprive specifically. I, he likes it more than kind of the the cryptic command, you know, soft yeah. lock. He likes the Deprive. I, I, I do, I do too. I think Deprive is is better than cryptic for that show. Cool. I'm sure he'll be happy to hear that. Is there a card out there that you haven't really had a chance to brew with that is just on your you know your bookshelf and you're in your brain saying, "I know that I'm going to do something with this soon." Uh yeah, um it might it's kind of a weird card. It's Deathless Knight, the okay. the from Throne of Eldraine, the four mana four two with green black hybrid. I've had that card in limited so many times. Uh, it, it comes back to your from your graveyard to hand if you've gained life this turn. I think a four mana four two haste has like some place against all of these planeswalkers. I think the fact that it gives four devotion could be relevant with Theros coming out. I think that the fact it it plays really cool with the cat combo too. So, like, one, it's, like, a good card to sacrifice, and with uh, cat, the, uh, sorry, cat combo has a couple connotations. The cat oven combo, where you get your cauldron familiar to gain one life, uh, and then you bring back your deathless knight. I think that there's something there. It's a card that I've tried to play with in Pioneer, and it's not, it hasn't quite happened, and I, I think that maybe it'll see a place in Standard with Grey Merchant being back. Um, I think that could be something really cool. But that that that's one card that I keep trying to wrap my brain around, and I quite haven't quite found a, a shell for. Yeah, I think that there's a reason that that blue white hybrid card gets seen seeing some play in like those mm. white devotion decks that have been bouncing around. So I think that you know that's a good idea is thinking about what has legs in the upcoming devotion strategies. I think Everett, we're reaching about the t- the time limit. So, where can people find you? Tell me a little bit about you know your your Twitch, your your Twitter. What's your schedule? How can people find you on the internet? So, I, I stream uh, Monday through Friday from eight thirty a.m. to one thirty p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, Monday through Friday on Twitch.tv/aspiringspike. I'm also pretty active on Twitter. I post basically every brew I play on. Uh, at Mohan Evert, that's M-O-U-G-H-O-N-E-V-A-R-T, and then my handle is Aspiring Spike on there. I also have a YouTube channel. I don't record, I don't upload any of my Twitch vods on there. I record videos specifically for uh, for YouTube. 
I'm still, it's still kind of in its infancy. I maybe have seven or eight videos, but you can also find me on YouTube at Aspiring Spike. Yeah, and we'll have all those links in the show notes as usual. So Everett, thanks a ton for, yeah, thank you for, for me. joining me on this uh, bonus episode. And again, thanks to all of you for listening and for supporting the show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get all the episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us a rating or review. That helps people find us out there on the internet. If you want to submit a question to the pod, talk to us about something related to Modern or Pioneer, you can tweet at us at the dive down. That's all one word. You can email us at the dive down at gmail.com. Of course, if you want to keep supporting us, help us reach future stretch goals. The next one is the big one. That's deck boxes and sleeves. You can join our Patreon. You can join any tier. It gets you access to the super secret Slack server. You know, we have a bunch of awesome people there talking about things all the time. We even have, a, of course, a, a brewing channel. So maybe we can get Aspiring Spike on there. That's patreon.com slash the dive down. Of course, we're also brought to you in part by manatraders.com. They help us out. Um, we've been using them, many of us, for almost the entire time we've been doing this pod. So you can use code the dive down, all one word, for 15% off your first three months. And as always, thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Blood for letting us use their music. So until next time, get out until there. Until next time. <laughs> get out there and aspire to be a spike. Hell yeah. Do you think they'll be done soon, or do you think it's like they're there for a while? I think I think they'll pass on within the next minute or so. There was okay. one stream where um, I, my tree outside the window fell. Okay. And in the course of the stream, the tree fell, and then guys came with chainsaws outside the window, and we just we, we, just, we laughed it off and we powered through it. Um, but we were also playing against Gabriel the Seaf in like a very high stress oh, matchup, man. and there's a chainsaw buzzing outside the window, and it was a uh, it was very hectic. <laughs>